What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rose, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined as always by Derek Terry of the Cats Paws. Derek, it's signing day, which is a holiday for people who love Kentucky football recruiting. <laughs> it is, you know, a little different these days, uh, especially this year. It was a weird year with COVID, but used to, I mean, February, I mean, you'd wait all year for for that. But now December, this is kind of the big day now. Most of the kids who sign, sign on the state in Kentucky to this point uh, is expecting 17 signatures today, I believe from high school recruits. So the only one who was maybe expected to sign and is actually still currently on the list is junior college linebacker, Joko Willis. And he uh, won't be signing in this year. So, well, at least at this point, if he does sign it, I'll have to be at a later date. But I believe the expectation is he's going to go elsewhere. But as it is, Sean, this is a class that uh, as of the time of us recording this, and this is going to fluctuate based on other schools as well, but Kentucky's class is ranked 39th nationally, 12th in the SEC, but the average star rating is a .8671 on 247sports.com. That's really not that bad of an average. It's not as good as it was last year, but it's more in line with how it has been previously in the Mark Stoops era. Yeah, overall, Derek, I, I like this class. I, I think given uh, COVID-19 and everything that they had to go through to kind of piece this class together, I think they did an excellent job. They they got the guys they wanted at the top. Uh, obviously, you know, Jagger Burton, we had him on as a guest and stuff when he first committed to Kentucky. That That's a big name at the top. Uh, Jordan Dingle recently, another name. Holding on to Christian mm-hmm. Lewis was massive. That's something you and I have talked about. He was a guest on this podcast uh, overall, I like it, Derek. I like that I think Kentucky feels comfortable with the guys they got. I think that they feel like they've identified some sleepers. And uh, overall, I think it's going to be a class that a couple years from now, I think there's going to be a lot of guys come from it that make an impact. Yeah, I do too. I mean, uh, Devontae Ross this morning was a surprise. A uh, kid out of Georgia who was committed to Marshall, flipped to Kentucky. You'll hear a little bit about him whenever Josh Edwards joins us. Uh, a little bit later for an interview. But I've been big on Christian Lewis for a long time. I mean, even before he was committed to Kentucky, uh, Josh Edwards actually told me about him, and I had gone and looked up his film and couldn't believe, honestly, that he didn't have more interest. I mean, I know he had some other good schools on him, but he committed to Kentucky, stayed pretty solid, and Chauncey Magwood's another kid that people are excited about. I think there are four or five kids who really have a chance to be very good players for Kentucky, and uh, – some other kids who I think could make an impact as well. But uh, top to bottom, this class is not going to get the kind of fanfare that last year's class did, which finished top 25. But as it is, I think you're right. I think it's a pretty good class. It is. And that, you know, that's why we got Josh coming on is to talk about it because he's he goes in-depth with this thing. That's his job. Derek, I know that's someone that 
you're close with, you have a lot of conversations mm-hmm. with, and uh, will be very insightful in his coverage of this recruiting class for Kentucky. Absolutely. Yeah, Josh, I've known, you'll hear me mention it, but I've known him seven, eight years now when I first decided I wanted to be a sports writer. It's actually kind of a funny story, Sean. I tried to get on with the Cats Paws when I was just leaving high school <laughs> before I started at UK. My current boss, uh, Daryl Bird, wasn't that interested back then, but it's kind of funny how things work out. Uh, I went to Rivals for a few years and came around to Cats Paws eventually. So I don't cover as much recruiting as I did back then, but Josh does a phenomenal job. You're, done, you're about to hear an interview with him. If you want to follow him on social media, because I don't think we plug that, it is at Edwards CBS. So Josh also writes for the NFL side on CBS. So, Sean, if you're ready, we can uh, hop into that interview. Yep, we'll go ahead and hop into that. Here's Josh Edwards. Welcome back to Kentucky Daily, and we're joined now on our signing day uh, episode with a good friend of mine, someone I've known for a long time, someone who helped me out when I first got it started in this business covering recruiting is my coworker, Josh Edwards from catspaws.com slash 247sports.com slash for Josh cbssports.com an NFL writer over there. So check out his work if you haven't already, but Josh, how you doing? Doing pretty well. It's uh, it's, it's been a interesting signing dates <laughs> to say the least. I mean, we had that one surprise early in the morning uh, and then we get a transfer, which I'm sure we'll talk about here before before long as well. But otherwise, I mean, it's it's been pretty straightforward for Kentucky. They do a lot of their legwork, you know, back in the spring, early summer, and then we kind of coast the the next four months. So that's that's kind of how we got where we are today. Yeah, I wanted to start off by asking you about that. Obviously, this year just much much different with COVID nineteen. I mean, none of these kids took official visits. I don't believe. Um, so in the big picture. Josh, and you evaluate this class of what we know about it so far, how much of it was affected by COVID? Do you think at the end it hurt or helped Kentucky more than a normal year? Just what are your thoughts on that? I think it's a mixed bag because Kentucky was not able to host maybe some of the recruits that they would have on a normal basis. I think Kentucky's strength in recruiting is when they're able to get in front of recruits and really sell their vision of what they they plan for the program. That hasn't been the case this year. We get a lot of virtual stuff. Um, You're not getting that in-person, you know, interaction, which, again, is where Kentucky has excelled in the past. So without having that opportunity, it makes it very difficult to get some of these highly highly rated recruits um, and, and kids committed to other programs. Unfortunately, Kentucky also had, you know, a year that was – probably subpar in relation to what we had been expecting. Um, That didn't help their efforts either. But on the flip side, you know, these Kentucky commitments weren't given the opportunity to visit the Georgias, the Alabamas, the LSUs, you know, all those traditional powers. So they were able to hold on to some of those players that maybe they would have had to, to really, you know, go to bat for in the final months in previous years. Josh, it's definitely no secret that Kentucky had to get something figured out at the skill positions, primarily wide receiver. Uh, what do you think about this class at the wide receiver position, especially Christian Lewis and being able to hold on to him? Oh, it's huge. I mean, you hold on to Christian Lewis, who had some other interest, you know, in the last couple of months. He never really wavered to his credit. Um, you know, there were programs that were expressing interest, but. He was very committed to what he had going with Kentucky. Um, 
in a year where they were not able to pass the ball much at all. So that's a testament to, to his commitment and, uh, you know, his, his character. So Kentucky is very fortunate to hold on to him. Um, and as much as we talk about him, he's obviously a tremendous player down the field, uh, capable of winning. You know, I talk about turning those 50, 50 balls into 80, 20 balls, something that we had seen in week one against Auburn with, uh, their wide receiver, Seth Williams, who is one of the best in football at going up to get it. Um, Christian Lewis has a similar ability. As much as we talk about Christian Lewis, and, you know, Der- this is something I've talked with Derek about too, Chauncey Magwood is flying way under the radar compared to his skill set. Um, this is a guy that had to play quarterback this past year for his high school um, but is going to transition to wide receiver at the next level. You see this natural ability with his route running, his breaks, um, stuff that we hadn't seen from recruits in the past. So the game comes so naturally to him, and he's got a little Lynn Bowden to his game um, in the sense that he's going to offer a lot of versatility. He can play quarterback in a pinch. He can be that wildcat option. He's actually got a pretty strong arm and you know is able to lead receivers, so he's – He's actually a viable candidate to put in a quarterback if Kentucky needs him, if they want to mix things up a little bit. But his explosiveness as a wide receiver is just tremendous, and I think that's going to allow him to get on the field pretty quickly um, for Kentucky. And then today we obviously see Devontae Rost uh, from Georgia joining the program as well. Really natural athlete. Um, You know, I haven't seen his senior tape yet because they're still playing. So he hasn't put that out yet, but I've heard nothing but great things about this kid so far. Obviously a reason Kentucky wanted to keep it quiet. Washington State, one of the top passing programs in the country, was was one of the last programs to offer him. So lots of interest in this kid down the stretch, and Kentucky obviously felt like they had to keep it quiet. Um, and then obviously you lose Armand Scott in the process, uh, the wide receiver from Ohio that eventually decommitted and um, and that's pretty much it for, for Kentucky's class to this point at wide receiver. One of the coaches who has really done a great job and recruited some of those kids you just mentioned is John Stumrall. Um Obviously gets the credit for, one, in the first place, Christian Lewis committing to Kentucky. I mean, he talked about that from the start, that he Summerall believed the story as he went to recruit a different kid from Pleasant Grove and uh, came across Christian Lewis before his junior season and, and offered him then his first offer, I believe. And then, of course, you mentioned Magwood. I believe he was also the lead on Martez Thrower, who is one of my favorite kids in this class. Um, can you just talk a little bit about the job that, that Summerall's done and not just landing these kids, but then being able to, to keep them in secured after uh, such a tough season throwing the ball? Yeah, no question. That that story of Summerall going to Alabama and identifying Christian Lewis when he had no other, no other offer is absolutely correct. Um, that's how it played out. But – He's done a fantastic job. This is a guy that, you know, he was able to evaluate Martez Thrower before he became um, what I believe is a very good linebacker, a guy that should be a four-star across all networks. Um, He was able to identify Chauncey Magwood, although he was primarily playing quarterback. Uh, Khalil Saunders, a guy that was still a little raw, but you see the traits that excite you, uh, the length that you want that position So to identify those talent is one thing. To secure commitments from those players is another. And then the third piece, as you said, is retaining those commitments, which has been 
the most critical part of Kentucky this year because they do have some good players on the board, even though, you know, the rankings may not reflect it as much this year. And there were other Power 5 programs that were trying to steal those kids down the stretch. Summerall is a very natural guy. He's genuine. He's going to tell you what he thinks. And that hits home with recruits. You know, that's easy to buy into. If you talk to the high school coaches in Alabama, they will go to bat for John Summerall because he grew up in that area. They know who he is, Um, you know, and they're going to answer his call whenever he calls. You know, he doesn't have to introduce himself to coaches in Alabama anymore. He's got a really natural relationship with players and coaches alike. So he's been a fantastic addition to the coaching staff. Obviously, um, you know, one of the most dynamic recruiters that Kentucky has and, you know, the future is bright for him, whether it's, you know, Kentucky or elsewhere, that's, that's going to be something to monitor because he, he, he is going to have some prospects in the coming years. And Josh, yesterday we, we got the official news that Liam Cohen is the new offensive coordinator at Kentucky. How big was that to get it done before signing day? And what's the reaction been like with recruits with uh, that being the, the movement that Kentucky's doing offensively? Yeah, it has been positive because you see um, a guy that has spent three years with Sean McVay, who is regarded as, you know, one of the best offensive minds in the NFL, a real young, vibrant coach. You kind of see some of that wearing off, you know, from Liam Liam Cohen in his introductory press conference yesterday, a guy that uh, knows what to say when he's addressing people. So I think that's going to be a seamless transition with recruits. And it's, like I said, it's been positive feedback thus far. He hasn't really had much time to, you know, introduce himself to recruits. So that'll be the next step that we, uh, the, the next bridge that we cross in the coming months. But I think it was a good hire. Obviously, it's a little bit more of a risk than some of the other options that had been on the table. But, you know, he has some play calling experience at Maine. He had an opportunity at Boston College and declined it. And as I said, has spent the last three years under Sean McVay. So while he isn't the same name brand as as Joe Moorhead, um, you know, he does offer a little bit more energy, a little more upside. Um, those retreads, you know, the Jim Harbaugh's, the guys that get second jobs are not always going to be the best fit. And I think Kentucky, um, you know, Mark Stoops really relied on on his good friend Aaron Cromer. Uh, former Kentucky GA John Cooley to to kind of get some intel on Liam Cohen, and that made him feel comfortable with him being the choice. Now, my my question is how much Stoops is going to to release him and allow him to to kind of coach freely, because you know he's a defensive guy. He's always going to be grounded in let's get a defensive stop, let's try to shorten the game so we're not going to score 40 points. So I'm curious, like, has he learned that he wants to open it up a little bit more, or is there still this natural instinct to where he is going to pull Liam Cohen back a little bit, um, you know, as he grows as as a play caller in his own right? I think that's going to be the most intriguing storyline to monitor for this Kentucky offense next year. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, As we move on to this, uh, going back to the 2021 class, Kentucky – after not signing any kids at all from the state in 2018, they followed that up with five each in 2019-2020. And this 2021 class is uh, six kids committed from the state of Kentucky. All those guys have signed officially except for DeKal Crowdis and Jack Burton, who 
will have signed by the time people hear this podcast. They're planning to sign at a KS bar at 3 p.m. So, Josh, when you evaluated this in-state class, what are some of the, who are some of the players you like and, and what are some of the, I guess, some of the good things that Kentucky is continuing to do on the trail to keep these kids in-state? Well, I think it's just having a presence, having a presence with these kids, having a presence with the coaches um, around the state, especially, you know, programs that have produced a lot of talent like North Harden and Frederick Douglass. I mean, if if you look um, at both of those places, the coaches have a tremendous amount of respect for Vince Morrow, Mark Stoops, and the job that they're doing um, at UK. That's a big part of it, to build those relationships with the coaches. As I look at the class, um, obviously Jagger is going to be the one that is the most noteworthy because of his upside. You know, he's going to have to pack on some weight to his frame, but he's incredibly athletic for an offensive lineman. He he plays with this mean streak where he's going to dig you out of the ground even if you get even if you gain leverage against him. He's so good at leveraging the defender, and I think that's going to to ultimately lend him to a very successful career in Kentucky and beyond. Um, obviously getting Jordan Dingle, a tight end from Bowling Green, was huge for Kentucky. They didn't have many high school targets down the stretch, and Dingle, Dingle was at the top of the board. Um, a guy that battled injury last year and you know has played to a higher level this year, you start to see a little bit more of the explosiveness that he lacked last season. Um, Jordan Lovett, the guy who – has tremendous ball skills, but is still learning the position. I mean, he's only been in the position for two years now, so he's still got a lot to learn. And then, you know, you go down the list, you see shades of brilliance from Kaya Sharon. Um, you know, Lavelle Wright, very patient runner, good vision. Not going to be the fastest back, but you kind of know what you're going to get. He's not going to take losses. He's going to fight for every yard, as we saw against Frederick Douglass early this year when he really carried that team down the stretch, like literally carried Frederick Douglass, um, you know, their entire defense in that, the, the final moments of that game. And then, you know, you get DeKell, who has tremendous speed. That's been one emphasis for Kentucky this offseason is, is adding speed. They felt like they, they lacked speed at the, the wide receiver position. They feel like they lack length at the defensive line position. So that's been two areas of emphasis in recruiting this cycle, and then um, obviously getting Jordan Dingle's brother, Justice, from Georgia Tech is um, another in-state pickup today. So Kentucky continuing to have a presence in the state. So if Louisville is to ascend in recruiting ranks, Kentucky's going to be able to hold them off because they've always been there, um, and they're consistent. So that's something that, that is going to you know, lend to, to Kentucky's success in-state for the long term. Josh, with with every class, there's always a, a name or two that we really don't talk that much about. And then when they get to Kentucky, they kind of turn into a, a guy that we didn't really see coming with, at, with that certain level of talent. But uh, looking at this class, give me two sleepers, one on the offensive side and one on the defensive side that you think that maybe a year or so from now we'll be talking a lot more about. Yeah, I've already said Magwood, so I'm not going to take the easy way out and say him again because um, I – We'll go to bat for him every day. He's a he's a tremendous talent. Um, two names that I will say, I'll say David Wallabaugh, the offensive lineman from Ohio, because his technique is so much farther along than what you typically see from a high school lineman because his dad played nine years in the NFL. 
His brother signed with Ohio State and transferred to Duke and is now an NFL draft prospect. So the, the lineage is there um, for him to be successful. And I think he's going to find that success in Lexington whenever we find out who the next offensive line coach is going to be. Um, Maxwell Hairston, I think he's he's going to be a really good player at Kentucky. And then Martez Thrower, a guy that I love. You know, Derek and I have, have talked about him a lot as well. He, As I like to say, he plays the game. He's a great athlete that plays the game like it's all he has in life. You know, he's going to show up to the point of contact. He's going to lay you out. You're going to feel his hit the next day. Um, he's got that much power behind him. But he's played running back for his high school. You see some of that change of direction. Um, you know, that quick titch, quick, quick twitch instinct um, that you see from running backs. It translates to the linebacker position as well, and that's going to ultimately progress him in his career at Kentucky. He plays just – he's an animal. I mean, he, he, he is so angry when he plays the game, and yet he's this great kid off the field. It's, it's this weird dynamic, but I think that's going to, to lead him to a lot of success at Kentucky – especially if John Summerall stays because he's done, you know, pretty great work with that inside linebacker group over the past year. And now this class will pretty much be wrapped up by the end of the day when we talk to Mark Stoops, but it's certainly not over yet. With the February signing period, the transfer portal, what exactly do you think Kentucky will kind of target over the next couple of months? What do you think will be the goal to kind of wrap this class up and finalize the roster for next season? Yeah, so what I'm seeing, uh, the primary interest so far has been offensive line, um, defensive end, um, inside linebacker, and wide receiver. Those seem to be the four primary positions of interest for Kentucky over the next couple of months. I think what we're going to see is more incoming transfers than we do incoming high school recruits. Um, I think the, the work that's been done in this 2021 recruiting class is largely finished. I'm not sure. There may be one or two more that pop onto the radar next month, but I think most of the work is going to be done through the transfer portal. And I'll, I'll tell you why I heard this today. Um, we haven't really been exposed to these kids as much. You know, we, we haven't been, the coaches haven't been able to see them in person. Um, you know, whether they're getting to campus or whether those coaches are going out to see games so they haven't laid eyes on these recruits as much as they have in years past. The thing that makes that so difficult for coaches is sometimes a kid may be listed at 5'10", but if he hasn't gone around or, or six foot one, if he hasn't gone around to camp circuits or made it to, you know, a Kentucky camp, there's no way to verify that. The kid could actually be 5'10", which doesn't seem like a huge difference, but it could be at certain positions and so it's been more difficult to evaluate players this year. Now, what they can do in the transfer portal is they see, you know, what this player has done in college. They go back to see if they have any pre-existing evaluations from when they were in high school, and they can trust that because they've seen those kids. They know what they can do, and there's just a little bit more comfort, a little bit more uh, – there's, there's a little less unknown when it comes to evaluating transfers compared to high school recruits this year. So that's why we're seeing Kentucky kind of dive into the transfer portal a little more than maybe we've seen in previous years. That really is a great point. I hadn't thought of that completely. I, I had thought of, you know, you really have to trust the high school coaches and your contacts to get measurables. 
this year. And that kind of leads me into my next point. And I read an article today. This is kind of an aside. It was from a North Carolina perspective that at this point, North Carolina, given the uncertainty with the roster because of COVID and the extra year and all these things, they might only have about nine scholarships to give for next year. So I'm wondering, it's kind of a two-part question. One, how different do you think this 2022 class is going to be since um, folks like they probably won't be able to take visits or at least April, I think is the day, April 15th. And then two, just from your sources, have you heard anything on the numbers, uh, the amount of kids they might want to take for that class? No, I haven't. It's, it's, um, it, it's very difficult to think too far in advance because there's so much left that needs to be played out with this current class. Kentucky has no clue, you know, which, well, by now they have a clue of which seniors are probably going to come back for another year. Um, they've got a few guys that are going to entertain their draft prospects. So they get away for feedback on that. Um, as you mentioned, you know, we're in a dead period through a portion of April. So unless hopefully with a vaccine and everything, you know, we're able to come out of this, we're able to get back to summer camps in June and July. And in that case, I think we'll see higher attendance at those camps than we've ever seen oh, yeah. because kids did not get an opportunity come this last year. And Kentucky, you know, they welcome kids, whether they're going to play in college football or not, um, you know, every single year at each of their camps. But I wonder if they have to find a way to be a little bit more exclusive so they get more one-on-one -on -one opportunity with these kids when they, if they come to camp. That's obviously something we're going to have to find out. If they do come to camp, if we do allow visits this coming year, then you're starting to get back on track. Um, you know, you're able to have those insight, in-person evaluations with high school recruits. You're able to get in front of them and express your vision for them as a player and as a person. And that's where Kentucky has been able to, to gain so much traction in recruiting over the years. So you're starting to get back to normalcy a little bit, but at the same time, you're not having multiple years you know, track record with these kids. So it's going to be difficult to hold on to them if they were to decide to go to Georgia or Alabama down the stretch, you know, when they start showing interest. So mm -hmm. it's, it's all a process of everybody's trying to feel each other out, um, understand the best way to operate. I mean, it's, it's very confusing for players too, because, um, you know, a kid in the state of California, I did an article on him yesterday, Josh Simmons, four-star offensive guard, most of California hasn't played football this year, you know, so high school or college coaches are not getting to see those kids. Um, you're seeing more kids in the transfer portal this year with so much uncertainty of who's going to leave in college football this year. We don't know how many spots are going to be available. Yeah. You know, we're looking at a position where several hundred kids could be left looking for a destination um, you know, through the transfer portal, or maybe they have to go back to the institution that they left, which would be pretty awkward, but that's the reality that we're facing. There's just so many variables that college programs are trying to balance with roster management this time of year, and, and recruiting is going to be a part of it. Before I let you go, any targets in 2022 that you feel pretty certain Kentucky will have a pretty good shot at? Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I'm going to say certain yet. Obviously, you want to look at the in-state kids. Um, you know, that, that's your Gavin Wimsett, the, the quarterback at Owensboro, one of the top quarterbacks in the country, according to 24-7 Sports, um, a guy that has, you know, interest from Notre Dame and TCU and some other programs across the country. 
Uh, it's actually a pretty deep class in state of Kentucky. So you got Dane Key at Frederick Douglass, um, the son of Dante Key, who played at Kentucky. Uh, you've got Ty Bryant at Frederick Douglass. Uh, his dad, Cisco, played at Kentucky. You know, and there's kids out of Louisville. There's obviously your guy, Travion Longmire and Corbin. Um, you know, Jackson Smith, who is the kicker, he's probably not going to get much traction, you know, from a recruiting standpoint in terms of, you know, like fans getting excited. But maybe they should after what we've seen from the kicking position in recent <laughs> years. Um, but, you know, just down the road in Boyle County, this is a guy that is probably going to end up at UK in this class. So um, it starts in state for Kentucky. You know, hopefully they get back to Ohio and steal some of those recruits because this past year was kind of lean in the, mm-hmm. in the state of Ohio. So um, it's going to be a combination of everything. I think Kentucky does as well as anybody at evaluating players um, and identifying that talent early. So if anybody's going to have an advantage – I think it might be a school like Kentucky in this instance. Josh, thank you so much for coming on. It's always good to hear from you. Uh, this is, I know you've been recruiting for quite a while now. I don't want to, 10 years or so. Is that what it's going on? I think we're going on. I think this is, I think this is nine. So we're nine. getting pretty close to a decade. Yeah. Well, it's kind of aging which, me a little bit right there. My bad. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't, uh, I, I hadn't done the math in my head, but we're getting up there, man. We're getting up there. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, Josh, thank you so much for taking some time. Uh, of course. And I'll uh, probably be communicating with you pretty soon uh, once Mark Stoops and Vince Merrill have their signing day press conference today. But thanks again. Yeah, of course. I imagine I'll be uh, hearing from you very soon. But yeah. thanks for having me on, Sean and, and Derek, and hope you guys are doing well. Uh, we're going to wrap this thing up, Derek. I, I want to talk about Liam Cohen and his press conference yesterday. Obviously, we recorded right before – Stoops officially announced it, but as we were recording, Kentucky sent out the press release, so we knew exactly what it was going to be about. I wasn't able to be on the presser with Cohen because we had some email issues going on around UK yesterday, and not all of us got the link, but I was able to go back last night and watch. Uh, overall, Derek, I think he's going to win over a lot of people. I like his personality, and you could tell that he's excited to get to Lexington. Yeah, I mean, people talk about winning press conferences and things like that. And full disclosure, I thought Eddie Grant and, and Darren Henshaw did as well back a few years ago. But <laughs> I think great. you could tell really that what attracted uh, what attracted Mark Stoops to Liam Cohen. I mean, a super bright guy, very energetic. Um, you could tell he's smart. Was a college quarterback himself. I mean, I think there is I think there's really a lot to like. And I know you said you got to you ended up getting to watch the press conference. So did anything kind of stick out in your mind about <laughs> Liam? Uh, well, about him or just about in general from the whole thing? I just whatever he said. Yeah. He said anything. Yeah, well, the thing that stood out to me, Derek, is the thing that we've kind of been talking about for the last five weeks on here is it, it just seems like that we're pointing towards Bo Allen being the quarterback at Kentucky. And the fact that yesterday he knew Bo Allen by name, but he referred to Joey Gatewood as the Auburn quarterback or the quarterback from Auburn. Yeah. Not, not any disrespect there, but – that stood out to me because, I mean, he mentioned him by name. Yeah, I mean, he, he knew Joey Gatewood as the Auburn transfer and but knew of Bo Allen, which tells me kind of lines up with what we've heard in recruiting too. I mean, in recruiting you see Christian Lewis tagging Bo Allen and, you know, tweets about him signing and things like that. So well, when, when you're making a change to throwing the football, clearly we know of the two quarterbacks, one is going to throw the football, the other one's 
known for a different type of attack and different type yeah. of game. Uh, I just think that that's there. I do think that if, let's say, it does go to bow, I don't think that Joey Gatewood's impact is over at Kentucky. I think he could make an impact. But uh, certainly I think we saw now and we see exactly what they were pitching over the last month to recruits. Yep. Yeah, I think that uh, there's certainly been open quarterback competition. I'd be stunned if they haven't announced a starter during spring, to be honest with you, because I, I would expect both these guys to have some growing pains in spring, learning a new system, getting comfortable with it. I doubt any either one of those guys is just going to look so good that it's obvious who the starter is going to be. But asking me today on December 16th, I, I mean, I'd be pretty surprised if Bo Allen's not the guy. Uh, when you talk about reputation, Bo Allen, more than his arm strength, it's his accuracy that people talk about. And uh, that was the thing that Liam Cohn, when he was talking about his quarterbacks, that's the number one thing you have to have is accuracy. I mean, he said a big arm, you know, kind of is what it is with a big arm. And it just kind of seemed to me like he was describing Bo Allen. So when you're thinking about this offense, he's the guy that uh, I believe will probably be the favorite to win the job, although it's certainly not locked up yet, but. I'll be curious to see, Sean, how they treat the bowl game. If, I don't know if Terry Wilson's going to play or not. I not heard one way or the other. Not heard on anybody. I mean, obviously we know that some people voted no. Uh, I suppose that means they could still play if they really wanted to. But if they decide to go to those two guys in the bowl game, I mean, that might give you kind of a head start. Not necessarily because it's going to be a whole new system come next season, but it'll still be some more game time. And, of course, we know that Joey Gatewood's got a little bit more experience right now than Bo Allen does. Yeah. And Mark Stoops did say yesterday that Cohen will join the team whenever his season's finished with the Rams, which could take a while, Derek. I mean, they're a pretty good team. So, I mean, it could be a while before he's officially in Lexington. Yeah, and I didn't think that was too big of a deal. I mean, there's obviously once the season ends here after the bowl game, he won't be able to reconvene until March anyway. So, some things recruiting-wise, I mean, if you're going to talk about something with COVID, I mean, it doesn't. I guess it doesn't really matter if you're in Los Angeles antarctica anywhere i mean you can still do your virtual calls so i don't think it really matters that he's in la as opposed to lexington so makes sense that he would stay out there and from what i understand i mean he's a decent decently pretty big piece of that uh game planning things like that for the offense so i think it's a good thing that sean mcbates and i have him through the rest of the year but i'd say fans who got to watch that press conference or read the quotes uh, are going to be pretty excited about liam and uh, if he if he is doing his uh, stuff via Zoom, let's hope he uh, purchases the premium package because we didn't. So our our timer is counting down here, Derek. We're out. I think we have less than two minutes now. So let's go ahead and wrap this thing up. Uh, obviously, the Butcher's Pub is back open. They're now open till midnight, Derek. So they've extended their hours to kind of you know reopen and give everybody the opportunity to get out there. It also helps with social distancing, too. If you're open a little bit longer, you're not trying to fit everything into the same window. So two locations, one in Palmville, one in Williamsburg, Kentucky. Get out to the pub, visit thebutcherspub.com, or check them out on Facebook for more information. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll be back for more on Kentucky Daily. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon. 
versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Root Metrics second half 2020 U.S. reported three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.